Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P. H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 33. And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if you are not my commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. 2 Samuel 19.13 But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. 2 Samuel 20.10 With Absalom dead and the revolt quashed, David sent messengers ahead to Amasa and promoted him to command the whole army of Israel in place of Joab. Since he had been appointed by Absalom, he had the respect of half of Israel. It would be a good way to begin to heal the country. Benaiah wasn't sure if David suspected Joab had a hand in Absalom's death. He himself knew it to be true because Joab boasted about it. But Benaiah thought it best not to tell David unless he asked directly. Yet it was hard to imagine that Amasa's promotion over Joab was only for political advantage and not to spite his nephew. David must at least have suspected that Joab killed his son against his direct orders. It would be a way to punish him indirectly, which seemed to fit with David's non-confrontational way to deal with conflicts and difficult personalities. Was David's lack of resolve to stand up to Joab partially because he feared Joab's volatility and his sway over his army? Did he think Joab capable of a military coup like General Abner had done to Saul's son Ishbosheth? Perhaps. When David did finally hear he had been replaced as general, he stormed through the house of the mighty men, kicking over helmets and shouting that David rewards rebellion and punishes loyalty. There was some truth to that, since he was quick to flee from Absalom, basically handing the kingdom over to him, and then grieving his loss rather than celebrating their victory, and demoting Joab after his great victory over Israel was yet more proof. But Benaiah was concerned about Joab's anger. Might he direct it at the king if he was angry enough? Once David heard that the people of the land were with him again, he returned to Jerusalem with his family. As the king neared the Jordan, a group of about a thousand men came up to the troop and offered to ferry the king's household across the river. Once they crossed the Jordan, Benaiah recognized Shimei, Ziba, Mephibosheth, and Barzillai approach, along with whom he guessed to be Ziba's fifteen sons and twenty servants. Shimei, son of Gera, was the Benjamite who had cursed David and tried to stone him as he fled from Absalom. Benaiah wondered why Shimei and Ziba would be allied together. Apparently, self-serving people often found one another. Benaiah kept a close eye on Ziba, whom he didn't trust. When the king approached the ferry, Shimei hurried forward and fell down before him in obeisance. My lord and king, don't think about the wrong things I did when you left Jerusalem. I know that I sinned by my rash behavior. Was Shimei implying that he didn't mean what he said when he cursed the king and assaulted their company with stones, or that David shouldn't be too offended by it? That's why I'm here today, representing the tribe of Joseph, by being the first to welcome you back to Israel, where you belong. Unbelievable. Now he was claiming to be the king's most loyal servant just because he was the first one to acknowledge David's right to the throne? And by aligning himself with Joseph, Benjamin's famous brother, he seemed to be wanting David to forget he was a Benjamite, like his enemy Saul. 
Abishai pushed through the crowd, drew his sword, and advanced toward Shimei. Shouldn't he be put to death for cursing the king and trying to kill him? David reached out his hand to stay his impetuous soldier. Abishai, put away your sword. No one will be executed today, because this is a day of celebration. I am once again king over Israel. Benaiah thought that although David's words were triumphant, there was a sadness in his eyes. David nodded to Shimei, I swear to you by God that I will not put you to death. Shimei's shoulders slumped forward in relief. He groveled on his knees as if he would attempt to kiss the king's feet if allowed, but Benaiah hauled him up and sent him on his way. Mephibosheth approached next, tossing aside his walking stick and falling prostrate before the king. His clothes were soiled, his feet unshod, and his beard untrimmed. Normally, Benaiah would turn away any man who did not properly prepare himself to approach the king, but he was eager to hear Mephibosheth's version of events, as David undoubtedly was as well. David studied him for some time before asking gently, Why did you not go with us when we fled Jerusalem, Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth looked up at the king. My king, my servant deceived me. I asked him to saddle my donkey and loaded it load it with provisions for you and your family, but he left without me. Benaiah recalled Ziba's generous gift to David. He should have known the man was being deceitful. Mephibosheth continued, He has no doubt slandered me to you, but you are wise. Do whatever you think best. I know you could have killed everyone in my grandfather's family, but you didn't. Instead, you included me among the people who eat at your own table. So what right do I have to complain about anything? Ziba, standing nearby, gave a slight shake of his head as if to refute Mephibosheth's testimony, but said nothing. Would David be swayed by the word of this deceitful servant over the son of his old friend Jonathan? David's gaze moved between the two men, uncertainty in his eyes. Finally he said, Say no more about it. This is my decision. The land will be divided between the two of you. Could David not tell which one was telling the truth? Now Mephibosheth would have only half of his land returned to him, and Ziba would be rewarded for his deception and greed. Mephibosheth shook his head. No, it is enough of a blessing to see that the king has returned safe and sound. Let Ziba take the lead, take the land. Ziba didn't even try to hide a self-satisfied smirk. Was Mephibosheth really willing to hand over all of his lands to this treacherous servant? Surely David could see now that Mephibosheth had no desire for his throne. Yet David said nothing else except to dismiss both men. The next person to speak with the king was Barzillai the Gileadite, one of the men who had brought food and necessities to them when they first fled from Absalom. He was a tall, gray-haired man, well-dressed as accorded his station. David embraced him warmly. My friend, he said, my company and I greatly appreciate your very generous provision during our flight from Jerusalem. I would like to take care of you and your family uh, with me in Jerusalem so you can all be under my care. Barzillai bowed. My king is beyond generous, but why should he repay me with such a reward? The honor was mine to share the Lord's blessing with my king, but my age precludes me from enjoying the privileges of life in the palace. Could my palate discern the quality of the food I eat? Can I even hear the sound of the singers at court? Why should I be a burden to the king? No, no, I will accompany the king's company a little while further, 
and then return home. I'm sure I don't have long to live. I am already eighty years old, and I wish to die near the graves of my parents. He turned behind him and motioned another man forward. However, if it pleases the king, perhaps my son, Chimham, could go with the king in my place to serve you? I would be honored to care for Chimham as you request. The group then proceeded to Jerusalem with their escort. There was great joy on their return to the palace. David resolved to take the ten concubines who had been humiliated by Absalom and care for them for the remainder of their days as widows, but he did not sleep with them again. They had no sooner returned to Jerusalem and resettled into the palace when word came of a new revolt led by a man named Sheba, son of Bichri. To add to Joab's demotion, David excluded him from his plans to put down the insurgency. He instead assigned the task to the new general Amasa. David ordered Amasa to summon the men of Judah and come to fight within three days. But when for some unknown reason he failed to arrive in the time allotted to him, David feared more upheaval than Absalom had caused. So he assigned leadership of the task to Abishai, Joab's brother, and another of his loyal commanders. But then word came that Amasa had been killed. This time, David didn't even bother to ask what happened. Abner had been killed by Joab soon after he transferred his allegiance from Ishbosheth to David. And now, clearly, Joab had removed yet another rival, even though they were cousins. Benaiah investigated the matter and learned it was as David suspected. He learned that Joab had approached Amasa at the stone landmark in Gibeon. He reached for Amasa with his right hand to kiss him in greeting, while with his left hand retrieving his sword and stabbing Amasa in the stomach. His body was left to wallow in his own blood in the middle of the highway. Benaiah could understand David's frustration with his nephews, Joab and Abishai. They were both uncommonly bloodthirsty. Benaiah recalled a story he'd heard from his father about left-handed Ehud, who during the time of the judges had requested an audience with the Moabite king of Eglon in private, then surprised him by pulling out a sword with his left hand and bearing it in his ample abdomen up to its hilt. Ehud was considered a hero because he killed a foreign oppressor to liberate their nation. But this situation was entirely different. Joab killed strictly for his own advantage. He sacrificed the interests of the king and a peaceful kingdom in favor of personal revenge and ambition. Also, Amasa was not killed in battle by an enemy, but in peacetime by a fellow soldier of Israel and with premeditation. The timing of it so soon after Absalom's revolt and murder couldn't be worse. Benaiah returned to the palace and reported what he'd learned to David. I don't know what to do with Joab, said David. When I promote him, he does what he pleases and disobeys direct orders. When I replace him with someone more worthy, he kills them. Yet if I anger him too much, he may well use his authority and popularity against me, as Abner did against Ishbosheth. David looked intently at Benaiah. I fear I'll have to keep him close and let him think he is in my favor. Favor, But watch him, Benaiah. He can't be trusted. Once again, David had failed to implement justice. Joab should have been punished for murder, according to the law. But David seemed to have a blind spot where family members were concerned seeing only what he wanted to see, like in the case of Absalom. 
He always assumed the best of them and defended them in spite of tremendous, obvious evidence to the contrary. Or if he did see their faults or crimes like Joab, he let them get away with it. Continue listening for chapter 34.